Welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Andy, Todd, and Tude. We're here. It's Album Nerd Podcast time. We're Album Nerds. We podcast. I'm Dude. I got Andy and Don with me. Gentlemen, are we ready to talk about some albums? Indubitably. Yes. Ooh, fancy. Uh, sorry, Don, you That's lose. <laughs> yes. After indubitably. <laughs> it's hard to trump the indubitably. All right, so for those of you that are new to the show, we are three friends. We love the album format, and we like to talk about albums. We allow a device to decide for us what kind of records we're going to try to listen to for the week and discuss, and that's what we're going to do this week. Andy, what's the deal? How did we get here? Yeah, well, uh, how we get here is the hands of fate. We let them take the wheel and steer us. This time, right off a cliff. No, uh, right into uh, <laughs> right into a topic that uh, that the uh, the wheel of musical destiny decides. The dude has this twelve foot tall wheel. Is it in your bathroom now? Where do you keep it? I actually have built a silo specifically to keep <laughs> separate, this thing in it. Separate structure, it's gotten, just for the wheel. My friend Paul Bunyan helped me build it. <laughs> <laughs> so we spin this wheel once a week, and it picks a topic for the show. We spun it uh, last week, and it landed on a space with a high top, baggy pants, <laughs> entitled New Jack Swing. If you were alive in the mid to late 80s and early 90s, um, you know, you couldn't uh, avoid the, the new Jack swing. Basically, it was a, a genre that, that fused R&B, dance pop, funk, and hip hop. People credit uh, songwriter and producer Teddy Riley, who you might know from bands Guy and, and Blackstreet. You know, he was uh, considered the, the creator of, of that sound. But so, yeah, so uh, each of us. Uh, chose a record that, that fits that genre, and we'll discuss that. Then we've got our, our question uh, of the week, and then we'll give that Wheel of Musical Destiny another spin. You choo-choo choose me? All right, so get this party started here. We're talking about one of the OGs of Ajax Wing, a guy who's been doing it for a while at the time by the name of Bobby Brown. Put out an album in June of 1988 entitled Don't Be Cruel. We are going to play a little snippet of the title cut right now. Alright, so this was Bobby's sophomore album. He was also a part of New Edition in the 80s, like R&B group. It's fairly popular. Um, he went out on his own and... With this album, found quite a bit of success. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, man. It overran my high school. You couldn't get away from the Bobby Brown t-shirts from when he came to town on tour and everybody trying to get the haircut. Um, and <laughs> Did you have the haircut, man? I did not have the haircut. I had something more akin MacGyver, probably, at that period. <laughs> a little spiky and sort of longer in the back. Occasionally try and shave up the sides. I wanted to do the stripes, but... Uh, you had a mullet, is what My you're parents saying. forbade it. Yes, I, I did. I had a gentleman's mullet, a, <laughs> not, a, not a Billy Ray Cyrus. <laughs> gentleman's mullet. Did you ever have the, did you have the rat tail? <laughs> I had one of those, actually. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> I think they called it a duck tail, though. It might be a little shorter version of the rat's tail. So it was like a, it was a mini, mini mullet. <laughs> <laughs> mini mullet. Yeah. 
<laughs> so this record in particular featured a pretty big shift from the, the smooth kind of R&B sound that he had in New Edition to kind of an edgier, high-tech, hip-hop fusion sound, I guess I would say. Elements of R&B were still in there, but definitely a pretty heavy dose of hip-hop as well. The album was produced by a duo that would become pretty infamous in the time period, uh, Babyface and L.A. Reed. Produced a lot of hits, uh, I think mostly in the 90s, from what I understand. Those guys, if L.A. Reed and Babyface were in your corner, you were going to have hits. Great production teams all the way around, really, on the albums we're talking about today. Now, it's definitely a big part of the of the sound is the beats and the, the textures that it was laid on. Yeah, so I mean, singles from this, this album, uh, Don't Be Cruel, obviously played there. Uh, My Prerogative, Big Song, uh, Every Little Step. I remember those ones from the radio. Uh, yeah, what did I mean? What did you guys did you guys listen to this music when it was coming out back in '88? Were you kind of avoiding this? You know, you couldn't avoid it. I mean, as somebody who was an, an avid uh, M- MTV watcher, I mean, finally, probably around like '85 or so, uh, MTV finally started really playing black artists, and um, you know, so by by 1988. People like Bobby Brown, you know, really took over, took over MTV. So if you were listening to, to the, the radio, you know, top 40 radio or, or watching MTV, you know, you couldn't avoid the, the new Jack swing. Yeah. I, I didn't have the album or anything, but I heard it on TV and heard it on the radio and everyone at school was nuts for it. The same kids that had, you know, a couple of years later growing out their hair and listening to Nirvana were, you know, <laughs> doing the running man in the hallway, singing My Prerogative and, and songs like that. But, you know, there had been a lot of R&B artists in the 80s, uh, Billy Ocean and, uh, and Lionel Richie, all that kind of stuff. But then taking that edgier hip hop sound and bringing it in and then allowing the artist's lyrics to be a little naughtier too, a little more sexually charged. It really did uh, just explode. And, and Bobby is one of the main reasons for that. I remember I was fairly young in 88, taking the bus to school a lot. I remember hearing the song, My Prerogative on the Bus. I'd be like, <laughs> oh, this is pretty cool, man. <laughs> We're digging that quite a bit. Uh, only play a little taste of, of My Prerogative. Yeah. You can't help but groove to that song. You've got to move around. It's just impossible not to. Also, the whole message of it, my prerogative, I do what I want to do. Young people love that, right? Not to mention, word of the day, a lot of young people learned the word prerogative, which I don't think most of us were using before that song became a thing. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's still pretty fun to hear nowadays. I love the production on it. Just the, even uh, in that part there that you played, I, I don't know if those, that's like a synth keyboard in the background or something. I'm not sure what the instrument actually is, but just that little, that subtle touch there is is quite impressive. So yeah, actually, like going back and, and listening to to these records and really paying attention, uh, I think what I appreciate the the most is the the production. Well, the that. You hear that, you know my prerogative is is coming up. You know it's. Yeah. It's a memorable sound. The songwriting is solid. There's a good variety and there's good quality ballads too. It's not just all bump and grind type stuff. Yeah, there's kind of like, at least from what I've learned or what I've gathered from these few records, it's kind of like two sides to this genre. There's definitely more of the hip hop oriented and then there's the more kind of 
slower R&B ballads that are all about smooth and getting in the mood. And, and there's definitely a handful of these on this record as well. Um, the one thing I remember most about Bobby Brown growing up was his dancing. In particular, the video for Every Little Step when he was doing like kind of that running man dance. So I guess there are variations on that. Supposedly, he says he taught Michael Jackson how to do the moonwalk. I don't know if there's any truth in that or not. But he is, he's got some moves, man. He's got a really like inherent rhythm to his movement that I think is, is pretty cool to watch. Well, I mean, in some ways there are, I don't know about him teaching the moonwalk to Michael Jackson, but there are similarities in, in like he started New Edition when he was 12 years old with his friends. They entered talent contests and stuff and got signed that way. So he, Bobby Brown did have that child musician vibe as did Michael Jackson, you know, coming up through. And then this album was kind of the, I'm a man. You know, yeah, totally. Was the name? I I thought I read somewhere that the name New Edition was, um, like in reference to being sort of the new edition uh, of the Jacksons. Yeah, the Jackson family. Yeah, it's actually it's pretty incredible that you know all those individuals in uh, New Edition had some commercial success uh, on their own. Yeah, and they all had the New Jack Swing sound. Yeah, should we go through the members quickly or? <laughs> Sure. Well, I mean, they're the ones that had hits. Yeah. Well, so you had Bell Biv DeVoe, right? Which was the, so that's Michael Bivens, Ricky Bell, and Ronnie DeVoe. Johnny Gill, I think, came after Bobby. He replaced Bobby Brown, um, and so Johnny Gill had had hits. And um, Ralph, uh, Ralph Tresvin. Yep. I think he was kind of like the front man, right? I mean, wasn't he? Yes. Um, and I think he had one hit. Maybe like sensitivity or, or something. This is all off of Don's top of his head, by the way. This is very impressive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember their names because in the song Cool It Now uh, by New Edition, there's a part where there's a rap part and he's like, Ronnie, Bobby, Ricky, and Mike. So he says their names. So that's how I always uh, remembered. Yeah. <laughs> Ronnie, Bobby, Ricky, and Mike. That was Ralph doing the rapping. Oh, okay. Makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so it's interesting. I think Bobby Brown was the first to try to make it on his own. And I don't know if he was, you know, identified, you know, by somebody as maybe being the, the major talent or, or something. I, I'm not really sure what the, the story is behind that. He's got some charisma to him. You see him on camera, like he, he's got, he's got the it factor or whatever, whatever that is. Yeah. So he would go on to become pretty popular over the next few years, kind of the guy in, in music for the early nineties there. Go on to marry Whitney Houston and have a whole bunch of domestic issues later on in the 90s and 2000s. Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate. You know, celebrity and fame and can sometimes screw people up or cause them to go over the edge. I know he had uh, substance abuse problems and, and some other things. Um, but from what I've read, he is working the program. He's been clean for years and uh, recently quit drinking and is on tour with New Edition now. So hopefully things are, are okay for Bobby and his family. Uh, yeah. So three record, three words I can also describe this record. Uh, so we got new Jack swing, uh, new sound. And I feel like a lot of these songs are kind of influenced or infused with, uh, you know, lots of, uh, sexual partners and jealousy. So I went for jealousy with a J and then for swing, I went with, uh, star making because this really did kind of propel his career. So. Yeah, this was kind of his claim to fame or kind of how he got all that notoriety it was largely tied to Don't Be Cruel and the uh, the five singles that, that came out of this record. Bobby Brown, Don't Be Cruel. Don't be cruel. 
Excuse me. I'd like to ask you a few questions. And now it's time on the show when we ask ourselves a question. So in the spirit of New Jack Swing, what do you remember from 1989? That's kind of in the middle of the New Jack period, so kind of right at the peak. Yeah, for me, it's definitely uh, probably the most popular movie from that year. Uh, Michael Keaton's Batman came out. Pretty dope soundtrack, I must say. Prince there. I think we talked about that on the show before. And some pretty memorable performances. Yeah, that Batman movie was huge. It was pretty good. I was a little young when that came out, but I do remember being scarred by (laughs) some of the scenes from it (laughs) quite a bit. uh, For me, mostly, the Batman movie was a lot of controversy about if Michael Keaton could pull off being Batman because he was a comedy actor to me like Beetlejuice right I wasn't really into comic books or whatever and by that point I was like high school age but uh, everyone was talking about it I mean everybody and then Prince's Batman soundtrack everyone was talking about that and it was Batman 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 you couldn't go anywhere without Batman it was either Bat- Batman Beach Tales or New Kids on the Block I mean that's all you saw <laughs> anywhere yeah yeah and that movie was quite a departure from you know having grown I mean it was in syndication when I was a kid but having seen the original Batman TV series you know which was quite corny and, and kind of lightweight um, and you know Tim Burton just really took Batman to you know a, a darker place um, was still like a hint of, you know, Tim Burton silliness. Yeah, it just reminded me I had some Batman trading cards. Was apparently a thing at the time. I had a whole stack of different like scenes from the movie that I would trade with friends at school. Yeah. Anyway, so the Batman, what, what about you guys? Thinking back to that time, I just remember watching a, a lot of Fox. Um, so the Fox network launched sometime in the in the late 80s and it took a long time for it to you know really get a, a foothold you know nationally um, but they had some some edgy programming early on you know like married with children they had the the Tracy Ullman show and in in 1989 the Simpsons which had just been like a short segment uh, on the Tracy Ullman show uh, ended up uh, running their their Christmas special you know which was a full length you know, show. And then, you know, the, the year after that, they finally, you know, launched the, the, you know, the long form television show. So, um, you know, I was really into the Simpsons at, at that time. And, you know, I remember, uh, Bart Simpson t-shirts and stuff being banned at school. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> My shirt. Don't have, yeah. You couldn't even say, don't have a cow, <laughs> man, or whatever people would. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, I mean, the Simpsons, I think, you know, probably deserve a lot of credit for maybe making, you know, Fox uh, more popular. But ultimately, it was, I think, when Fox finally got the NFL, I think that's really what made it one of the, you know, the networks that, that everybody was watching. Now, on on my Fox station in that time period, I think they had tried to have a late night talk show with Joan Rivers and failed. So instead, they let a syndicated show come in in that period, and it was the Arsenio Hall show. For the New Jack Swing period, I mean, he featured all those artists and, you know, other artists too, Madonna and, and others uh, appeared on Arsenio. But man, it was like so different than the, the old people, you know, the old people shows like Johnny Carson and stuff at the time. And it was hip and cool, and all the best guests were on there, and they did truly live performances and. But that's how I I didn't have MTV and stuff, so that's how I consumed things like Bobby Brown and and rap artists that I'd never heard of were performing on there. So I was being exposed to a lot of things I would have not otherwise been exposed to. So I did really enjoy that show, except for when Bill Clinton played saxophone. Oh, yeah. That was embarrassing. <laughs> 
yeah <laughs> that was uh, but that i think that won him the election man yeah it might have oh yeah totally it was a huge deal but yeah that you know that show was uh i it was such a pop culture power uh, at least in in my world um, even the, you know, the stuff, you know. Yeah, the, the dog pound and all that stuff. That's what it's called, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah. And his posse. Maybe you'd say, say hello to my posse over here. Yeah. I mean, I <laughs> posse to me had been a cowboy term before that point. And yeah, he had a humongous impact. And then things changed, time changes, and it faded off. But uh, it had a, it was a big part of this scene, and I'll, I'll always link the two in my head. Arsenio Hall. It would go on longer than that. <laughs> <laughs> I go back and watch an episode. I've never seen one start to finish. Yeah, you totally have to check out uh, episode of Arsenio Hall show, man. Come on. All right, so that's going to do it on the question for us. How about you answer that question, listeners? Hit us up on socials at Album Nerds or on the Discord, of course. Let us know what comes to mind for you for 1989. Okay, so we'll move forward uh, a year uh, to, to May 1990 uh, with the release of uh, The Revival uh, by the band Tony, Tony, Tony. And the, the spelling is interesting. So it's T-O-N-Y exclamation point. T-O-N-I exclamation point. T-O-N-E with the, what's that accent called? That one? An accent. Okay. Uh, and then, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, anyway, and, and another exclamation point. No Tonys. There's no Tonys. That's true. There's no Tonys in the group. There's three dudes in the band, three primaries, and none of them are named Tony. Which is disappointing. So where did that where did that come from then? Like what's the? They said I, it was just a joke or something, and then they they decided that they liked the sound of it, and that was it. But yeah, there's there's no Tony. There's uh, Dwayne Wiggins uh, and his brother uh, Raphael Sadiq, born uh, Charles Ray Wiggins, uh, and then they have a cousin uh, Timothy Christian Riley who played drums. Uh, so let's uh, let, let's hear the well the the hit that I remember. Uh, here's uh, feels good. How many terrible radio DJs at the time do you think said, yes, it does feel good, and we feel good here at night? <laughs> Probably quite a few. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, I don't know, Tony, 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 I, I knew that song, and I knew some of the other songs from the uh, from the album, because uh, they got some, some radio play and, and some MTV play, uh, but I actually, you know, I, I was a bit stumped when this this theme came up because even though i i lived through the era and was exposed uh to it you know i never really delved into the album so i asked for a, a recommendation uh from somebody who was you know into that genre he recommended this to describe the album in three words i i cheated and i just said it feels good because <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it, yeah. it, it does you know it, it has uh i don't know just uh it, it's at least half of it is kind of a, a party sound and it incorporates, you know, funk, a little bit of jazz. It's uh, unlike the other two two records that that we talk about today. This one has more of that. Well, what I would consider more of like a hip hop sound. There's more sampling. There's more. Is turntabling a verb? There's <laughs> there, there's scratching and, yes. and stuff like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so um, yeah, more of a hip hop feel, I think, than the than the other two records. Uh, what, what do you guys think? I thought a lot about like that the old school hip hop that we're talking about that was more about about like partying and like getting down. 
Like I heard a lot of those sounds and that general vibe, especially on the first like five or six tracks. I think, uh, yeah, I think that's super accurate. Um, once you get past those though, it's a pretty smooth like makeout record almost. Some slow jams and uh, kind of a pretty laid back, loose groove, <laughs> I would say. Did these did the albums from this era come with a tube of chapstick? <laughs> That came right. with it because so much making out. Right. Some, <laughs> some banaka. <laughs> yeah. <Right. laughs> or at least a piece of gum, you yeah. know, some big red should have been tucked in there. Yeah. Uh, I had a friend uh, in high school, Dan, and he was so into this album. It was the only time I'd ever heard it all the way through until this past week. What strikes me about it now is it does, like you guys were talking about, that hip-hop feel. It it has a similar energy to like uh, De La Soul's Three Feet High and Rising, which one of my favorite hip-hop albums from that era. And they're having fun with some, there's little skits and little voice snippets and things like that. So it has this really... Uh, good energy to it. Uh, it, it again, this era, these albums, some of them are, are a little longer than I think they need to be because they fit as much as they could on a CD. And this is one of them, I would yeah. say. Yes, yes. <laughs> me, me too. Well, why don't we, let, let's, uh, let's hear a little more of the, the fun. Here's uh, Oakland Stroke. Yeah, so I, you know, I think sounds like that, or, or maybe why the the album is called the the revival. You know, I think reviving a, a sound like that. Why don't we do one more um, that that kind of has that vibe? Uh, good time. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot of great moments on, on this album like that. You know, unfortunately, I, I feel like in the middle there. The, the tempo drops and it does kind of turn into seductive kind of make out music, um, you know, which I, I don't dig quite as much. You know, I really like the, what they capture. And I don't know if that's a, a, a sound that's, you know, that, that comes out of the, the Bay Area, um, I, you know, like that Oakland stroke or whatever. I, I, I think there's kind of that party sound from, you know, from that location. But yeah, I, I wish there was, there was more of that uh, on the album. I believe I saw an old, I think it was Oakland Stroke they did on Arsenio Hall show. And I think that was like a move, right? Like a dance move, like a walk kind of a thing. Not another kind of stroke that might also come to mind when you're thinking about sexually charged music. I think it's that too, though, actually. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Only to you. I don't want to go blind. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we mentioned, uh, you know, the, the importance of, of production and, and how you had, uh, you know, some really big name producers at the time. And the, this album was, uh, at least co-produced by Foster and, and McElroy, uh, who are another big production name from, from that era. Yeah. One thing that kind of stood out to me was, at least at the time, I was associated hip hop with being like an East Coast thing. And this very much blended this like as a West Coast vibe. I talk about the West Coast. There's that pretty popular song, It Never Rains in Southern California. And, you know, the Oakland Stroke. And it very much feels like a West Coast album, which for me feels pretty novel at this time period, I guess, for, for hip hop in general. That's a good point. Yeah, there's a there's a musicianship to this as well that wasn't always found in the new Jack Swing, which leaned more on drum machines and 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 those kind of elements. So that's part of what was their thing was that they were a real band 
and and it could change like whatever they were playing live they they could switch it up they could change the the arrangements and stuff so i think they just had they had a a, a throwback funk feel and funk band feel and uh, mixed it with the new jack swing sound pretty pretty well yeah and i i having you know read up on on these guys I think you know moving forward their their next album celebrated that musicianship uh, even more and I I think they tried to kind of shake some of the the commercialism uh, of that era I I'm not sure that they uh, you know appreciated the you know the the way that that these artists were were packaged at that time you know if you uh, you know, videos would, you know, show these guys and, uh, you know, on beaches and of course, you know, women in bikinis and, and stuff like that. Uh, they didn't want to be, you know, presented in that manner. I think they were just, you know, guys making music and that's all they wanted to be. It's cool. It's respectable. Okay. So that was Tony, Tony, Tony with The Revival. And now a word from our sponsor, us. This is friendship. Pure, unadulterated friendship. Oh, yeah. Hey there, music fans. Have we got something special for you? How special? Special as they come, my friends. (laughs) In that case, sign me up. (laughs) Whatever it is, I'll take it. Now, the Album Nerds Discord is live and in effect. Go to albumnerds.com slash discord and you can join the community. We are in there talking about music, new and old, and particular albums. Also some other stuff too. Just, you know, whatever's going on in the world, movies, music, fun stuff. It's a good time. It's a good place to hang out. You guys like it there, yeah? Love it. Don's shaking oh. his head in the agreement. <laughs> I, yes. It's, I spent a lot of time it's very, there. It's very enthusiastic. Sounds, yeah, it sounds really convincing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you can join. It's free. Uh, you just download the Discord app or go to discord.com. Join the Album Nerds Discord and you can be uh, can be part of the crew, one of the cool kids. So, albumnerds.com slash Discord. Oh, I'm going to New Jack Swing It, boys. Going to New Jack Swing It all over town. That <laughs> 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 anyway, was much cleaner than I expected it to be. Well, this is a, a family show, right? Except for the occasional F word. I'm going with the with the big guns here. Janet Jackson. Miss Jackson, if you're nasty, with Rhythm Nation 1814 from September of 1989. Why don't we just get started and listen to a little bit of Rhythm Nation. All right, so that was Janet Jackson with Rhythm Nation from Rhythm Nation 1814. Huge album. New Jack Swing tracks all over the place also a, a mix of some other pop and rock elements throughout the album but you could hear that that swing beat in that particular track ever hear this album before fellas negatory are you serious wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know i knew the singles you know i mean so many of these these songs were were huge but no i i've never i i had never spent time listening to, to the album before we're done here um <laughs> dude is offended <laughs> I mean, I, I wasn't. I was more of a of a radio singles person at the time myself. But I I did hear the album. I had friends that had it. I think I had a bootleg cassette copy of it. But over the years, I've listened to this exhaustively. It just does pop music so well. And my three words are smart pop perfection. Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, the producers from 
the time, which was affiliated with Prince. So they worked with Prince. So Prince's pedigree is stamped all over this thing and uh, that Minneapolis sound. And that's, you know, mix that with a Jackson and you got something, you know? What did you guys think about this? Uh, I, you know, I, I was pretty impressed by it, actually. Uh, once you kind of get over the sort of daunting nature of it, it feels a little bit tough to get into. But once I did, I was really rewarded. And I felt like it's probably the most complete album of the three that we picked out today. Yeah, I agree with that as well. So, uh, I mean, I, I believe you could call this uh, a concept uh, a concept album. It's just huge, you know. I mean, it's just a big album, a, a big statement, which which I appreciate. You know, I I, I love that that kind of thing. I, I love having a uh, you know a recurring theme th- throughout it. But at the same time, uh, you know, like a like a Prince record, it's it's somewhat eclectic. You know, it's kind of all over the place. There's a real rocker mixed in there, uh, like Black Cat. I think is a is a real rock record. So yeah, you know, I, I like this album a, a lot. And it was also, you know, after listening to the, to the other two albums, it was a kind of a breath of fresh air to get a, uh, to get a break from the misogyny, uh, and to get a, a, f- a yeah. female voice. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's legit, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. The, I mean, the topics she covers on this record are so different <laughs> than the other two records we deal with. It's like talking about like children and education and save the future and. <laughs> you got Bobby Brown talking about his libido for 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did. Uh, yeah. So for those who don't know the album Rhythm Nation, first of all, the name Rhythm Nation 1814. R is the 18th letter in the alphabet and 14 is N for nation. So that was where the 1814 originally came from. But then as they were discussing uh, this particular track, that it was kind of like a, a new national anthem there. And then they, they looked it up and, and uh, the Star Spangled Banner was written in 1814, uh, September of 1814, kind of at the same time that this album was released. So there are those ties to it as well, which I think is kind of cool. Uh, I remember at the time it was like Janet and Michael Jackson it was like they would alternate dominating the the pop world, you know. So it was like every other year, you know, every year you were getting a, a Jackson record. I, I would say that she out Jacksoned Michael on this album. I think this as a as a full <laughs> concept album with all you know the themes of helping each other and looking at the problems in the world and trying to do something about it. It's also like I saw a quote from her where she said, "Hey, it's." fun to dance and have fun and there's nothing wrong with that but we have a responsibility to think about the world around us too and it's got all those sides to it and the cohesiveness the production i think all around this is uh she out she outdid her brother my opinion yeah yeah man, I, I guess i wouldn't disagree with you man uh, the album feels so polished and meticulously put together it really unfolds in a, in a beautiful way i think it's gonna be said to you for like just you know, like they were raised in this musical family and we've been doing this for so long. And like, she just sounds like so confident and like in her place on a lot of these tracks, even though she doesn't have like the most amazing voice in the history of vocalists, but she still sounds good. And like, she just fits the mix effortlessly. 23 years old at the time of this album. This was her, this was her fourth. So Control in 1986 was the big breakthrough for her. The record label A&M wanted her to do another control but instead she wanted to do this high concept album so uh, as the themes change the first handful of tracks you know we've got rhythm nation and then there's these interludes state of the world the knowledge about getting yourself educated that's the most powerful thing 
and then there's an interlude, and it kind of switches gears for the album. Get the point? Good. Let's dance. But then it jumps into the track Miss You Much, which is a really great pop song. What did you guys think of that that whole flow of the album, the way the interludes were used to break things up and switch gears? Yeah, I, I, I'm a sucker for that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. And uh, I mean, if you listen to modern hip hop albums and R&B albums since it, it, it's almost become like a standard thing, you know, to have those little little interludes to, to kind of break up or, or to connect the tracks. So, yeah, I, I dig it. Especially when you're dealing with, like, the variety of sounds and topics she is, it, it really helps to weave it all together in a way that makes some sense. I was up early this morning, 6.30. First thing I did was put on headphones. I'm listening to this album, and it was like drinking a cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gets you going. 80s percussion was all about the rim shot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Uh, so, there is also quite, you know, just in the in the tradition of of this type of album. We have a lot of romantic type songs. Uh, I was always, at the time, I was a huge fan of um, uh, Love Will Never Do Without You. That was a great song. It was all, I mean, this this was like 1992. That was still playing on MTV. 89 is when this came out. The next album came out in like 93 or four. So she was all over MTV for years on on one album. But one one of the songs that I've always thought was just really pretty was called Come Back To Me. And I'm just going to play the intro from it because the intro itself, the way they use her vocals just totally sets the mood for what the song is. You know what it is as soon as it starts. I mean, you're, you're uh, lighting the candles and dropping the strawberry in the champagne. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> totally. Her, her voice has always reminded me of Diana Ross. Yeah, I hear that. So all in all, I think this album is standalone, incredible pop album that it sounds slightly dated, but not too bad. I think it. I think it holds up pretty well. Yeah, I think so too. I think this is probably the least tied to the New Jack Swing movement. Like, there's definitely elements of it in there, but there's so much else going on and such a strong concept and like production to it that it really kind of stands separate from that genre. And, and again, a, wom- a woman's perspective helps as well because it definitely breaks up, like you guys mentioned, it breaks up that sort of macking on the ladies vibe, you know? Yeah, this is what I mean. This is one I'll, I'll, you know, continue to, to revisit. All right. So that was Janet Jackson, Rhythm Nation 1814. There are many, many tracks. Don't be scared. It's about an hour and four minutes. You should check it out. It is a lot of fun to listen to, and you will know songs, period. Enjoy. What did we learn today, gentlemen? <laughs> yes. Uh, what is the moral of this lesson? Get rid of the Wheel of Destiny as soon as possible. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's that's an owie on my heart. Uh, I'm just joking. It was, no, it was good to dig into these because I... I wasn't really old enough to listen to this stuff at the time, was aware of some of the hits, but digging into the records, I think in particular, the Janet Jackson record was really rewarding. Yeah. And just kind of hearing some of the, the you know, the songs that surrounded the hits, I think was was good for context 
for me. This was a, a good exercise for, for me as well. So, you know, as I said, I, I lived through it, but I would say, you know, at the, at the time I was probably indifferent to it. And so I'm, you know, I'm glad I, I delved, uh, I delved into it. I mean, I think the, you know, the, the Janet Jackson, I mean, that's, Perhaps you could say it's a, it's a masterpiece, you know, so that's, that's something I'm definitely going to, you know, continue to spend time with. I'm, I'm kind of excited about the, the Tony, Tony, Tony thing. There's some, you know, just really good sounds in there, some really, really good moments uh, on that album. So, um, yeah, it, it really gave me a chance to uh, appreciate a, a genre that, you know, I, I just wasn't paying attention to. For me, the wheel pushed us. Which I think is is good, and probably folks out there get on the Discord and throw us some ideas of things to add to that wheel. Because being challenged is part of what makes this whole thing fun. Finding albums that have elements. I mean, I didn't listen to this album regularly. Regularly, I never really like Janet or any of them. Really dug in. Bobby Brown was an eye opener because there was so much funky fun on there that I wasn't aware of because all I knew was the the couple of hits stretching. A little bit getting outside of our comfort zone was a lot of fun so i thank you wheel of destiny i don't care what andy says you're okay in my book and that's one to grow on all right boys and girls it's gathered around it's time once again to uh open up the silo doors and reveal <laughs> 13 feet of Wheel of Destiny. <laughs> yeah, we both, all three of us have to put keys in and turn them at the exact same time. <laughs> That's right. I've been walking around with this briefcase <laughs> handcuffed to me all week long. I'm gonna crack it open, <laughs> give that Wheel of Destiny a spin. I'm your density. Woodstock 99. Huh. So that would be artists that appeared at Woodstock 99. Huh. Okay. That should be fun. This should be right in my wheelhouse, but I feel like New Jack Swing maybe was higher quality than Woodstock 99. <laughs> <laughs> you were at Woodstock 99. I know. It was terrible. Wow. <laughs> well, we can discuss that next week. Yes. Okay, well, uh, what's your favorite New Jack Swing record? Uh, what do you remember from Woodstock 99? What are you listening to now? Let us know. Join fellow album nerds on Discord at albumnerds.com slash Discord. You can email us at podcast at albumnerds.com or leave a voicemail at 585-210-2454. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at albumnerds. And if you'd like to support the show, do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com slash support or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. That's right. It was a great show. Thank you so much for New Jack swinging with us. We'll catch you next week with some Woodstock 99. Ooh. Ooh. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yo, home. Smell you later. <laughs> <laughs>